Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Hey, would you guys all stand with me for the reading of the scripture? And as you're doing that, go ahead and turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. While we were uh, worshiping, I had this, I I was going to preach on a, I'm still going to get to it, but a different passage, but this passage came uh, to my mind as well, and uh, I wanted to just say something about it real fast. So, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, I want you to look down at verse 6. It says this, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So if you want to know what God is up to in our age, what his intentions are, he wants to show the incomparable riches of his grace through his kindness to you in Christ Jesus. How amazing. Very common passage that you probably have heard before is in verse 8. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. Here's, here's the verse I wanted to get to. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Turn to the left in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. All right, Romans 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Today we're coming to the end of our discipleship series and to the end of our series within a series. You know, we've been in this discipleship series, but we've also had this kind of inception thing going on where we've had a series within the series. And the, 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 the question of that secondary series has been this, how do you change? How do you change? How, you know, many people, they become a Christian. Incredible amounts of change take place in their life. They, they were going one way, and they are going a completely different way when they come into Christ. But as time goes on, and as we go through fear, and as we go through pain, um, I, I know many, many disciples, many Christians, many of us in the room, we ask the question, am I actually changing that much? 
Am I actually becoming more like Christ or am I becoming less like Christ? And I had, a, I had a, a, a mentor of mine tell me this one time. He said, you know, every church needs a working definition on how people become more like Jesus. And so we've been developing ours over the past two weeks. Now, from the very beginning of this entire series, five weeks ago, uh, here's how we've defined the journey of discipleship. Discipleship is a relational invitation to make your identity visible. Let's all read this out together. Discipleship is a relational invitation to make your identity visible. So I said in the very first message, I said, you know, imagine a 14-year-old who's into skateboarding and into punk music. How many of you guys know that's going to look like something in his life? The way that he dresses, the music he listens to, the people he hangs out with, the art that he's into, it's going to look like something, right? And in the same way, your identity as a disciple of Jesus should look like something in your life. It should show up physically in your life. And so this is really where I want to conclude our series. You know, of all the passages that we've read, and we've read many, many, you know, um, if there was like a hall of fame of discipleship passages, we have certainly read many of those throughout this series. Of all the passages that we've read about how to change, I have left out one thing. And that's this. You cannot be a disciple in your mind alone. It must look like something physical. It has to look like something physical. Now, last week we talked about the renewed mind. But this week I want to focus on the other phrase, which is in the same passage. So look back down at your Bibles. Here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies to Christ. Your very physicality. Now, why the body? Maybe you could, uh, you, could, you could think, isn't discipleship a spiritual journey? Isn't Jesus kind of a master of these grand ideals? And isn't Christianity a philosophy of all philosophies? What does the body have to do with discipleship? Turn to the right in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to look at this um, 1 Corinthians 6 is just the next book, or 1 Corinthians is the next book over. Go to chapter 6. Uh, Paul is addressing sexual immorality in the Corinthian church, uh, but it is just amazing. He is also bringing out his theology of the body. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, here's what I want to say. What you believe will change how you behave. We've been talking about that. You can't change, you know, a lot of our behavior, it comes down to, well, I just felt this way, so I did this. And you're like, I can't change how I feel. That might be true, but you can change how you, what you believe, and that will change how you feel, and that will change how you behave. But there is also a link between how you behave and then what you believe as a result. <laughs> you're like, what? Well, listen to how Paul talks about, about the body. He says this in verse 12. He's quoting uh, the, uh, the Corinthian culture, essentially. He, he quotes them saying, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant <clears throat> for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know? that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So Paul is quoting these ideas, right? He's quoting these ideas that he's heard around Corinth, and he's directly answering them. And it's amazing how similar some of these ideas sound to the ideas that we have currently in our culture. I have the right to do anything, they say. But Paul is like, your definition of freedom is anemic. See, there are two kinds of freedom. There's freedom too, which is I can do what I like. I'm free to do that. That's freedom too. But there's another kind of freedom that they are not recognizing, and it's freedom from. What is freedom from? I'm able to not do that. I'm free to do this, but I'm also free to not do that, right? And the true mark of a disciple is not the lack of limitations that they feel, but it's not being mastered or owned by anything. That's the real mark of freedom for the disciple. I'm not mastered or owned by anything. They say, the body. Food for the stomach, the stomach for food. The Lord will destroy them both. And Paul is like, yeah, no. (laughs) No. The body is meant for the Lord. In fact, you're going to get resurrected in the same way that Jesus was resurrected. Your body, your very physicality is going to be resurrected. You're not going to be destroyed. You're going to come to life after death. You know, remember when Jesus was resurrected, there were, there were marks on his physical body that were, made him recognizable. There were, whole, there were scars in his hands, Right? And in his side. He's not some kind of like spirit ghost. No, he, he actually eats fish. Do you remember that? He has a fish breakfast with them, with the disciples, and he eats. He isn't just spirit. Now, why does any of this matter? Why does it matter? Well, it tells us that God is not trying to free you from your body. And discipleship is not the journey of getting free from the icky material around you. No, you're going to get resurrected. Your body is good. Sometimes uh, there's a gentleman in the church, I won't, I won't point you out right now, I don't want to embarrass you, but there's a gentleman in the church who he actually told me, he said, you know, God helped me repent and love my body. He said, I had to go to each of my body parts and say, I love you. And I forgive, I, I, I repent what I've done with you that has been against God's will. I actually love my body. I love what you've made. And, and I think some of us, should, we should do that. We should, we should actually say, no, what you've created is good. It's been used by the enemy in ways, but what you've made is a good thing. I love my body. I love what you have done, right? See, if heaven is beginning to break into our world, right? We, we, Jesus said, pray on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is now, and it's not yet. It's also coming in its fullness. But if it is also now, then our bodies are the primary ways that we engage and sense God in this world. Our bodies are like God-sensing machines, right? What I'm trying to get at is this this very complex idea uh, that I'm still wrapping my head around, which is that we're embodied souls. 
So, so our, meaning that our bodies are not containers with a soul rattling around inside. And one day we'll shed this earthly shell and our souls will be free. That's far more Greek than it is Bible. What I'm saying is that our very physicality is one with our soul. So when we do things with our bodies, we are doing things with our souls. Do you see, here's the point, do you see just how physical discipleship can be? Do you see just how physical your discipleship is? It's not just a mental thing. It's not just a feelings thing. There's a physical side of discipleship. Look down at verse 20 again. It says, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. So your salvation, that purchasing that God made with his blood, with his sacrifice, it has implications for your body. I want you to get this. Discipleship is about what you think. We've talked about that. That was last week. Discipleship is about what you think, but what you think isn't only about what you think. You're like, what? Okay, let's try Paul again. Here, I got a slide. You don't have to turn back there. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice how he moves from offer your bodies to God to the renewed mind. What you think is not only about what you think. What you think is impacted by what you've done and what you do and what your habits are. You, you're going to learn. You're going to have a, get a renewed mind by giving your physical life to God. Not just your mental world, not just your feeling world. I'm going to give my physical life to God. And as you do that, your mind is going to change. You're going to think differently about things. What this means is that your body has a role to play in discipleship. But because of that passage, there's transformation or conformity. Your body also has a role to play in undiscipleship. Undiscipleship and deformation. You know, if it, I was thinking about this. Um, I think we have a slide for that. Do we not have a slide for that? One second? Okay. Um, I was thinking about, you know, if we have a gospel, and our gospel says, disciples think different. We would all in this room say, yes, disciples think different than the world. You're not a civilian, right? Disciples think different. But here's the problem. We are swimming in a culture that engages our thinking, but it also engages our actions, right? So then we're being deformed by two pressures, and we're only being formed by one. You see what I'm saying? Like, if, we have, if we're a church and we're saying being a disciple primarily is a mental thing, it's a renewed mind thing, it has nothing to do with my body, I'm telling you right now, we're already losing because we're existing in a culture that's not only engaging our mind, but it's engaging our bodies, right? And what I want to say is that the place of self-medication is the place where you will learn your habits and you will learn your values. We talked about self-medication last week, but what I'm saying is this. Everybody goes through fear and pain. We all go through fear. We all go through pain. And conforming to this world, how do you get conformed to this world? You offer your body 
to the fear and to the pain, and you try to medicate it rather than going and having your mind transformed by Jesus, right? You, you, conforming to this world happens through self-medicating on the tiny luxuries of life. Transformation happens by choosing to believe the truth even when you're going through fear and pain. In, in, in one case, you go through fear and pain, and, and, and being conformed looks like this. It looks like I'm going through fear and pain. I'm going to go to the tiny luxuries of my life that I can get my hands on to try to do something about this fear and this pain that I'm feeling because I don't want to feel it anymore. Transformation looks like this. I'm going to offer my body, even my habits. I know my habit was watching TV when I was stressed out. I know my habit was eating when I was stressed out. I know my habit was pornography when I was stressed out. I'm going to offer my body to Christ to him, and I'm actually going to get the fear and the pain transformed by understanding truth. See, if it's only a mental thing, you might think, I'm going through fear and pain. Uh, I'm going to try to go to Jesus in my mind. Jesus, where are you? Where are you? I just don't feel you. Okay, I'm going to go over here. But if it's a physical thing, you go, what can I do physically? I should show up to church. I should read my Bible. I should talk to somebody and be honest with them about what I'm feeling. I should find out what another believer thinks. We're all, we have the mind of Christ. That's a plural. So I need to know what God thinks about me, and I need to talk to somebody about it, right? The discipleship is physical. And because, like, here's what, I'm, here's what I'm saying. Nothing in our world is value neutral. What you may think is harmless recreation to just blow off some steam is likely discipling you. You're being discipled. And it is either forming you into the image of Christ or it is deforming you. It is undiscipling you. The podcast that you listen to, the music that you listen to, the TV shows that you watch, the habit that you have of eating out, the, the, the video games that you play, the online shopping, you know, all of them you could go, oh, they're just, it's just recreation. It's, it, it, I'm free to do it. I'm free to do anything. But I will not be mastered by anything. Every single one of those things has a set of values attached to them. And when you engage in them, with them, they will form you. They will make you into a person. You're going to become somebody by what you participate in physically. I remember the first time that I saw this. I read this amazing, amazing book by Jamie Smith. He's a philosopher. But I remember um, he kind of pointed out, he said, just, just when you're in cultural spaces, begin to watch for formation. And I would, as I would walk through the mall, I would be like, I'm being formed just by walking through the mall. There are, there, you know, the mall has its own set of saints. They're the mannequins. It, it, it has its, its own sense of, of liturgy, of, of what you do in its own tithe. And it has this own sense of like the promised kingdom life that you could have if you were to spend your money there. It's forming you. It's a formation center. I remember seeing it on Amazon and in Fred Meyer and in every cultural uh, public space. I realized it's a discipleship zone. I'm being discipled. They want me to become a person, and so they prey on my fears and my insecurities. They say, everybody experiences pain. Don't you want this life? You need this thing. Everybody experiences fear. Don't you need this? This will take care of it, Right? And I began to see that the common thread throughout all of the cultural public spaces, the common thread of their values was this, their Babel values. They are all Babel values. Through participation in our cultural spaces, I was beginning to get a Babel mind, I realized. I was beginning to value production 
and building and making a name for myself and working for an identity, putting all of my focus on my projected image rather than becoming the real deal. And to be honest, I remember when I saw it, this is probably six, seven years ago, it made me mad. I got mad about it. I was like, no, you don't get me. I am free. The scriptures say who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm not only free to do something, I'm also free from doing things. I don't have to do that. I'm not going to let your advertising suck me in. I don't have that need. You know, there's this wonderful passage, or, uh, um, it's part of the story. I think it's in the, um, the, the book. It's either, I think it's in one of the Chronicles of Narnia, but it's, like, it's, a, it's a book further on. There's this character who was a total brat earlier in the story, and he meets Aslan. And it, what was that? It, uh, it's Eustace. It's Eustace. Okay, yeah. I mean, we can clap for Eustace if you want to clap for Eustace. Jeez. Uh, that guy really did have a turnaround. Um, he meet, so he meets Aslan, and he used to be this kind of spoiled, rotten brat, but he meets God. And in the next book, he, he has a friend of his who says, she's like, I was in the locker room at school and I overheard some kids saying this about you. They were saying, you know, we really need to get a hold of Eustace. He's not, the, 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 the what did they say, like the fears that we used to use with him don't work any longer. And it's like, that's freedom from. Like, I won't be owned by anything, Right? So here's the question I think many in the church and especially in the evangelical side of things are, are awakening to. Could there be counterforming activities for us to participate in that actually speak to the fear and pain through the body rather than just the mind? Did you catch that? <laughs> You're like, what is he talking about? Okay, could there, if, if we're being formed everywhere else, from the websites that we visit, the stores that we go into, the TV that we watch, if we're being formed everywhere else, are there counterforming activities for the church to participate in that, that, can, that get to the heart through the body rather than just the mind? Yes. Yes. There's, there's, there's silence and solitude. Just taking, t- I mean, we are, we're the age of information. We are just bombarded with information constantly. It is a radical counterforming practice just to be quiet and on your own for a time. It's radical. Try it. It's amazing what it will do. Daily Bible reading. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you read your Bible every day because I couldn't raise my hand. We should be reading our Bibles every day. It's a counterforming practice that goes against the current. We are, I, I thought about this. I thought, if I listen to a podcast every day, I get an hour of a podcast, and maybe if I'm lucky, I get 15 minutes of scripture reading. What is forming me more? Just by sheer time. Coming to church. Just the act. It is a, ra- I'll tell you, here's one of the most radical things. You're like, does he notice when I'm missing? I don't know. Sometimes I do. Like, it's a radical act to just come every week. Just to make a priority, I'm just going to be there. It's radical. If you talk to most church planters, they're like, most people go to church once a month. And if they're really, really good, they go twice a month. It's a forming act to come together and to worship together and to sit under the scriptures together. This, you make no mistake, you're in a discipleship zone right now, right? Eating with Christians, taking time to invite people over to your house. That's a, that's a counterforming uh, act to have other believers over to your house, to sit at a table and to listen to them, to ask them questions, to talk about life, to talk about what you're going through and what it's like to raise kids and what it's like to be single and all everything in between. 
counterforming. Fasting, you know, this is something that we're doing every Wednesday as a church uh, through the season of Lent is fasting uh, breakfast and lunch every Wednesday. It's a counterforming uh, practice. I'm actually going to go without God because I'm, I want to be spiritually hungry for you. I want, to, I, want my, I, want, I, want to, I want this discipline to lead to devotion, right? All of these, these there's so many other practices too, and, and so many other disciplines that the church has engaged with for 2,000 years. All of these work to thwart the machinations of Babel because they aim at you being more dependent on God than your own self-sufficiency. Every single one of them is, an, is aiming at dependence on, on God rather than you building a name for yourself trying to be productive, trying to really be somebody. When we come, and we're going to do this in just a moment, when we come and we eat bread and we drink wine, we're learning about Christ. Do you know that? When you give money and you're, and you're generous, you are getting discipled. Your mind is beginning to change. When you engage with people that aren't in your same socioeconomic class, you're enacting the equal love of God. You're not playing by the rules of our world. When you get baptized, these physical things, what is it? It's the physical enactment of the spiritual reality of death and rebirth. And all of these physical acts, these physical acts of discipleship, have a way of disciplining us, not just in our, it, it, not just in our thinking, but in our cells and even in our muscle memory. Like our bodies are learning. It's incredible. And, and here's why. Here's the reason why. So that making decisions to be like Christ comes easier tomorrow than it did today. That's why. That's like the why behind it. Why, why do all this stuff? Because there are choices to be made, to be like Christ or to conform. And if you are not in a habit of positioning yourself to depend on God, those choices are going to be much more difficult than easy. And so there are choices that you make today in your body, in your habits, in your, the rhythm of your life today, so that tomorrow the choice is easy to obey the choice is easy to follow, right? Not only do you understand mentally, how do, you, how, how do I get transformed? Not only do you understand mentally, I have a father who wants to partner with me and he also wants to prune. You also go, my mind is renewed by what I've chosen to believe in, what I choose to steward in my mental world. But now even your body is getting trained as well. God prepared good works in advance for you to walk in. So I am walking into my destiny by giving my body over to God. What it means is that the Christian life is not about doing what feels good in the moment or waiting for inspiration when you already know what is true. The Christian life is about walking through doors of discipline in order to encounter God in new ways. Doors of discipline. Doors of discipline. I want to talk about this for just a moment. I want to share this paradigm with you. Um, the, the way that I see all discipline in the Christian life. Uh, and some of you... <laughs> You may agree with me. Some of you may disagree with me. That's fine. This is like not a divide over issue, okay? Uh, this is just my take, and I want to be really clear about this. I'm not even saying like, thus saith the Lord. This is Alex's idea. Here's my paradigm for all discipline, whether it's Bible reading, fasting, giving, feasting, silent solitude, all of, all of it. If each discipline, take your pick, if each discipline is a potential door to encounter God, then we should walk through those doors, but only when God is knocking on them. So if each discipline presents an opportunity to encounter God in a way that's maybe beyond your personality, or to encounter God in a way that you haven't in a long time, you haven't read your Bible in a long time, it's a wonderful discipline. It's a door to encounter. 
but it's only a door to encounter if it's what he is knocking on. Here's what I mean. Many Christians uh, today feel that in order to combat the deforming culture that we live in, we need these counter practices to help form us against the Babel mind that is uh, taking place simply by living in the time and space that we live. But here's the temptation. Here's the temptation. As naturally religious people, we will use almost anything to justify our lives. Okay? All humans are naturally religious. So we will use almost anything to justify our lives. I, uh, in, if, you, if you buy the, culture, uh, the, the, the values book, you'll read this story. There's the story in there. Um, I was at the, at the beach one time, and I stopped at like a rest stop to go to the bathroom before coming back home. I go to the restroom. Um, I wash my hands, and there is a, uh, a dryer on the wall, a hand dryer on the wall. There's no, ta- there's no paper towels. I was bummed. I go to the hand dryer, and I dry my hands under it. They're not dry because those things don't work. I dry my hands under it, and on, and on the hand dryer, it has a little red LED number, and it ticks one up, dink, and it says, this is how many trees you have saved by using this machine. And I really thought about it. I was like, huh, that's so interesting. I mean, I love saving trees. But I, but I, thought, I thought, okay, what, why? Why is this hand dryer telling me how many trees I've saved? Because this hand dryer knows that I'm a righteous person. That I am, I am naturally religious seeking. I naturally want to be righteous. And it's going to give me just a little bit of information. This is what you've done. Oh, I feel so good. So humans naturally are religious. And the temptation is, I'm going to tell myself I'm good. I'm going to justify my life. I'm, I'm doing well because I fast, because I do silence and solitude, because I do the disciplines, because I have tapped into this ancient monastic tradition, and I'm walking in it today. Nobody else is doing that. There are some for whom what begins as inspiration to be more like Jesus, to do what he did, simply becomes a form of working for identity. It becomes a Babel thing. I fast, I pray, I follow the liturgical calendar. Why? Why do you do that? Well, if I were to be brutally honest, I don't know what kind of father I have, and so I'm doing what seems like wisdom to do, or what a pastor told me to do, or what the tradition says to do, in order to feel a belonging to the group, or assuage my guilt, or to get identity. And unknowingly, if this is you, unknowingly, you are undermining the very thing that should motivate all discipline, which is the love of the father. That's why we started our whole, the whole change series, we started it with what? You have a father. Because all true change, lasting fruit, begins with understanding that you are a child and that you have a father. The acceptance of God, the identity of a child. So much, um, you know, spiritual formation is like a buzzword in the church. There's, there's pastors, they used to just be called like people pastors, and now they're spiritual formation pastors. Um, there's so much spiritual formation in, in the church, uh, but it's all done missing the engine. I've literally gone to like conferences on spiritual formation, read all of Dallas Willard. Here, here, here's what it is. it is. It is missing the engine, that you are a child and that you have a father. There's, all, there's so much to do in the Christian life. But if you do not understand that you are a child and you have a father, then you will miss the very heart of God in all of it. And you will work for an identity rather than from it. Spiritual formation uh, should be the place where we are, we are motivated by the love of God rather than 
I don't really know who God is, and so I better do this stuff. How do we solve this problem? Jesus said this in uh, Revelation. He shows up in Revelation, guys. He says this, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is my take. Each discipline has the potential to be a door to a meal with Jesus, but only if it's the door that he's knocking on. Only if it's the door that he's at. Imagine you're, you go through your life and you're like, and you're like um, I'm fasting for you. And I, and, I, and I read through the Bible every year, every year, the whole thing. And, and I'm spending time with the poor and I'm giving my money away. And he's like, yeah, I've just been knocking at this door of silence and solitude. And you've been going everywhere else. And so I'm just knocking at this door. Can I come in and have a meal with you? Because there's a lot of fear and pain that we've yet to address. See, Jesus doesn't just celebrate discipline alone in your life. He celebrates productive relationship. How do I know? John 15. He says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, here's prayer, right? Ask whatever you wish. Pray. And it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Notice that it doesn't say God gets glory by your discipline to pray. It doesn't say, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for, for you. This is to my Father's glory that you spend a lot of time in prayer. <laughs> Am I killing a sacred cow right now or something? Uh, no, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. That you're actually fruitful. Simply because you hear that disciplines are a good idea, and that you, you think that it, it, it's a good thing to pray, it's a good thing to read the Bible, that's, that's not enough for you to choose those things. You are not your shepherd. You are not your own discipler. I firmly believe that God will lead us to the green pastures of his resting in his presence by designating seasons of discipline where he plans to meet us. So if we're always getting ahead of the shepherd, and I'm going to go here, and out of my, you know, many of you guys, you're go-getters, you're builders. I'm going to go here, and I'm going to do this for the Lord, and I'm going to, and I'm going to be a part of this ministry, and I'm going to serve there, and I'm going to, I'm going to read my Bible more, I, I'm going to pray more. And he's like, it's like, but have you just, have you looked at the shepherd? Do you know what the shepherd's up to? He's the discipler, not you. You are not your own discipler. And when we listen long enough to hear the knock, we open that door, the discipline then isn't a heavy yoke. It's lighter than all the other places of self-medication. It's light. Look, the problem with spiritual formation apart from a relationship focus is that we may begin to celebrate the acts of religion more than the person himself. And I've personally come to the conviction that I refuse anything less than being fathered. I refuse it. I refuse anything less than being fathered. I will not settle for it. He paid for my childhood with his blood. So I won't settle for a philosophically Christian life with spiritual disciplines mixed in. I just won't settle for I won't settle for that. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, are you arguing for the eradication of ritual and tradition? No. I, I, sometimes I can't catch a break with some of you. I have some of, I have some of you, some of you I have that you come to me and you're like, 
why is communion taking so long? Why are we, what is all this liturgy stuff? What about the spirit? And then I have, I have others of you who are like, hey, you know, the church has kind of already figured out some of this whole church worship stuff for like 2,000 years. Maybe we tap into it and we don't be so arrogant that we just can reinvent ourselves every year. Yes to both. Yes, and this is the tension of St. Sill. This has become the tension of St. Sill, of what we're trying to live in. We are trying to honor tradition and the liturgical calendar because sometimes if we just go by what we feel, we don't end up addressing the things that need to be addressed in the human. We go Pentecost, 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 and we don't look at Lent. Or we go Lent, Advent, Lent, Advent, and we're like, Pentecost is that kind of weird one. It's like, no, we need both of those. I'm not arguing for the eradication of ritual or discipline or tradition. I'm actually arguing for the opposite. I promise that for every person in this room, there is a disciplined door that Christ is knocking on. And they are the doors that will likely change your perceived limits of your personality. So if you're an extrovert and you're like, I just feel God when we're together. It's awesome. Let's clap. Let's dance. It's like, he might be inviting you to take a day to be totally quiet, no phone, no computer, and just listen to him. That might be tough to do. And others of you, you're like, you're like, you know, this whole, you know, Saints Hill jump around, wave flags, party during worship, it's a little strange. And he might be challenging you saying, there could be another discipline of you actually coming. You see yourself, when you come to church, you're like, I'm going to discipline myself to engage my physicality in worship, my body in worship. You know, also I want to say this. We have only increased our rituals as a church this past year, from communion to the Apostles' Creed to doing various uh, what we're calling beauty events like the Advent dinner uh, to observing the church calendar. God is found both in the ritual and the spontaneous. And so I actually am convi- I'm, I'm convicted that we need a sacramental rhythm to address the full gamut of the human experience. But I also heard a Franciscan monk say once, This is for you, MG. The sacramental life is at the service of relationship, not the other way around. The sacramental life is at the service of relationship, not the other way around. Okay, so what should we do? You're like, get to the practical stuff already. What should we do? What should we do? Well, here's a question I want you to ponder, and I'd like you to actually write this down. Some of you, I know, you just kind of listen, and you don't take notes, and that's fine. Maybe that's how you remember, but I'd really like for you to be able to look at this later on this week. Um, Here's a question for you. What are you learning from your personal rhythm of life? What are you learning from your personal rhythm of life? The way that you wake up, the place that you eat, the people that you talk to, the habits that you have throughout your day. Who are you becoming by what you are participating in? That's a very important question. Who am I becoming by what I'm doing with my body? Now, that's a question. (laughs) That is a question. And that question, if you ask it and you're honest, that will likely lead you to a crossroads of sorts where real repentance won't just be a change in your mind. It will be a change in your body. It will be a change in your habits. And I know that this is difficult. I want to say this. I have compassion. Changing habits is really, really hard. It's really hard, especially with addiction. It's really, really hard. But what is more difficult than repentance 
in trying to and attempting to change habits is partial surrender. That's even more difficult. Because oftentimes what happens for a believer is they've acknowledged that they have sin. They've acknowledged that their habits are shaping them into somebody that they don't want to be. But they haven't gotten access to the absolute power of true repentance. And so sin, the sin, it sticks around with you, making you feel guilty and unresolved because it isn't resolved. It's not actually been repented of. And it's exhausting. Half repentance drains the life that God has for us out of us. It drains it. So real whole life repentance, what does it look like? It's the kind that says, I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to give you everything. My, my time, my money, my organization of my day, my career pursuit. I am going to get, my body is a living sacrifice. I've given up the right to dictate the future of my life. I'm giving myself fully over to you. And when you do that, when you get to that place, right there, transformation of the mind. Right there, grace like you've never experienced before. And I want to say, the reason why I know this is because I've been walking through this over the past month. There were, I mean, someday I'll probably talk more about it, but there were so many things that would have, on the surface, you would have all seen and said, yeah, that's normal, he watches TV. Oh, that's normal, he really likes podcasts. Oh, that's normal, he does this or that. And you've been like, that's totally fine. It's, it, it's, it's harmless. It's recreation. And the Lord was like, you are using those things to self-medicate rather than coming to me, the healer. And so whole life repentance doesn't just look like you going, yeah, I probably shouldn't listen to so many podcasts. Sorry, Lord. That's not repentance. Repentance looks like I'm deleting the podcast app. That was mine. I've listened to so many podcasts. I'm deleting the app. And you know what? I had a fear. Let me just, I'll be very honest with you. Here was my fear. I'm going to delete the app, and I'm suddenly going to have le- my content on a Sunday is going to be less good because I'm not tapped in to the cultural zeitgeist of what's going on. And the Lord's like, we got to address that fear. Because I'm the one who speaks to you. I'm the one who can, t- I can fill you with more content than you could ever imagine. This is what, so, so I'm not just saying like, hey, look at your life and your habits and repent. I'm saying this is what I'm doing. This is the season the Lord has us in. We are being pruned and we're being discipled. And he is not going to let people live in fear and pain and self-medication any longer and living with half repentance. He wants full repentance, not because he, he needs it. He knows you need the, he wants the full flow of his grace in your life so that you can really be free. I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. Okay, so two physical ideas for transformation as a church. I want to end with this. Uh, two physical ideas. The first is this. Do the Jesus stuff. Do the Jesus stuff. Um, we have uh, spiritual discipline practice groups. We're calling them practice groups coming this summer. Um, we're following a curriculum that um, the church that planted us put together called Practicing the Way. And we're going to be looking at ancient spiritual disciplines and practices and over a four-week period in small groups doing them together. So the first one is on prayer. I think it's starting in June. Uh, you know, we, we, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We also say, come, Bria, come. Uh, because we need Bria to come back to actually make this thing happen. So Bria's going to come back and eventually, and we'll get to it. Uh, but we'll be having practice groups. I really encourage you. If any of this sounds challenging to you and you're kind of like, ah, jeez, ah, I don't know about that. I'd encourage you, try it. Try it out. Uh, secondly, personal uh, disciplines. I've already talked a little bit about this, but uh, get up early and come with us uh, and, and do pre-gathering prayer at, at uh, 9 a.m. every Sunday. We gather together. We take time to, to listen. Uh, if Ari's leading, we'll, we might even dance and clap our hands and wake up. Yeah, 
Wherever Ari, yeah. Some of us, <laughs> some of us like it a lot. It's incredible. Others of us, it's like, it's 9 a.m. right now. Um, try, maybe even just try this. Try fasting this week with us on Wednesdays. In our app, we have a little Lent uh, scripture meditation and prayer. Um, try fasting with us and following along with um, the Lent uh, scripture meditation and prayer. Um, whatever you read in the scriptures, do the Jesus stuff. Just try it. You know, it's so, it, sometimes you make it so complex, like, do we have a prophecy uh, team? It's like, we don't need a team. Just read about prophecy and try it. And here's the good news. You have a good father who is who's able to clean up your mess with you. So as long as you take responsibility for what you do, just try it out. Pray for healing. Share the good news of the kingdom. Okay. Secondly, on a more specific note, I want to talk about radical honesty. I think one of the most powerful physical things that we can do is to make a confession of sin to another believer. It is so powerful. Um, I, uh, I've shared with you guys before, I've been um, uh, going through this counseling kind of discipleship program. And what they have you do the very first week is they have you write out your life story. And for me, it was a confession of sin. Stuff I hadn't told anybody. There was stuff I wrote on my Word document, and I was like, uh, that can't be on there. Delete, 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 delete. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. I do it. There were um, specifically two ongoing habitual sins in my life that I've struggled for years to get free from to the point of like tears, sweat. It, it's, it's been horrible. I make this confession. This is really my life. This is really what's happened. I'll be radically honest with you. This is really what's taking place. I have had complete breakthrough in both of these areas. I'm not struggling with these areas anymore. They're not, there's, they're not temptations anymore. So I just want to say this, you know, we're not in the habit of, of disclosure very often. We don't do that very often. But I think so much healing and freedom is on the other side of saying to one another, hey, this is what I've done. This is what's been done to me. And here's what I've believed as a result. And the power, you, that, the power of God comes in and Satan's shame and it just completely loses all of its hold on you. So I want to encourage you in that. Now, let's, let's go ahead and stand. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.